We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. Steve Dace here for Freedom Fest, the biggest and most successful liberty event of the year, attracting thousands of people, including hundreds of liberty-oriented speakers, think tanks, nonprofits, and sponsors. This year's Freedom Fest is taking place in Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. Exploring new frontiers is the theme of this year's festivities and includes sessions on technology, the liberty movement, politics, investing, business, education, healthy living, and much more. John Stossel, Lisa Kennedy, Dan Bongino, Deneen Burrell, Steve Forbes, Jim Rogers, and even Star Trek's own William Shatner will keynote the event. Register today for $100 off the regular rate by using code CRTV100 at the checkout. You won't want to wait, though. This code only works for the first 100 registrations that use it. Freedom Fest 2017, coming to Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. It'll be here before you know it. Go to FreedomFest.com for more information and to sign up. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Of course, it is a Monday, so we're going to get you caught up on some weekend news and views here in this this first hour. And and I want to start with what happened in, uh, last night because uh, the Super Bowl is really uh, it's it's really America's uh, secular holiday. Uh, it's the most watched television event in the world every year, uh, and has been in this country going back decades now. Companies spend upwards of ten million dollars to get thirty to sixty seconds of exposure during the broadcast. It has an a nine-hour pregame show that is preceded by an entire week of pregame shows, parties, events. Uh, it has its own award show now. I mean, you could make an, you could make the argument that this is now the biggest cultural event that we have every year. When you consider the amount of news, hype, uh, viewership, money that's spent, that this event that we just culminated last night is it, it's the, it's the biggest event in Americana every single year. And if you are a conservative, you should appreciate that. I know there are some of you right now listening to this, bristling at everything I just said. People take this stuff too seriously, Dace. People take everything too seriously. 
People take everything too seriously. People take theology way too seriously. People take politics way too seriously. People take sex way too seriously. (laughs) People take themselves way too seriously. One of the best things that's happened to me in the last five years is when my wife put her foot down and said, I I can't manage two social media accounts for you anymore, so I'm getting rid of your private account, and we're just going to do a public one. Why? Because it meant most of what it gets posted in in people's news feeds, I no longer see, because I'm not friends with them anymore. And half the time, I'd scroll through that every morning, checking out Facebook, and I would just want to grab half of America and say, why so serious? Ease up, man. Ease up. You're, you're really not that important. Really, none of us are. Taking yourself way too seriously. So yes, do people take football, do they, people take sports too seriously? You bet they do. Do they ruin relationships they shouldn't over sports? Sure. Do they put sports in place of their creator and their relationship with him, the most important relationship of them all? You bet. But we do that with the opposite sex, the same sex, pets, politics. We do it with everything. We can't help ourselves. Doesn't mean the act, just because we have, we as a species are incapable of such overindulgence, doesn't mean the activity in and of itself is inherently bad. And what transpired last night was a skinny kid nobody'd heard of coming out of high school. That the number one ranked public university in America right now decided to take a flyer on and give a scholarship offer because they had a spot. And they just thought they saw something in him. And he languished on the bench for years at Michigan. Till finally he got to his redshirt junior year when he was a senior, and they decided to give him a chance. The problem was they recruited another kid who was the number one quarterback recruit in high school football. They wanted him to play. So he had to fight him off, battle him. He was benched on and off his junior year. Benched on and off his senior year. Then at the end of the year, they decided to give him a shot. They'd had they'd suffered a second loss. They're out of the Big Ten race. Start him in a game at Penn State, who had spent mo- must, m- much of that year ranked number one in the country. And he leads a 10-point comeback in the fourth quarter, and they win that game on the road. A couple games later, they're down 28-14 to Alabama in the, sh- in, the or- in the Orange Bowl. Leads another massive comeback, and they win in overtime. And then he's a sixth-round pick in the NFL. Something like 20 quarterbacks got selected before he did. No chance to play behind a guy who's a perennial pro bowler, Drew Bledsoe. He gets hurt. He comes in. 17 years later, here we are. Now he's he's made $300 million, which is about half of what his fashion model wife has made. They're married. They have kids. They are the quintessential American success story. Nowhere else in the world is this story possible. Dorky, skinny kid from California ends up being worth a half billion and married to a supermodel. Doesn't happen anywhere else, guys. Just doesn't happen anywhere else. 
you look at the values that it took for the Patriots to come back last night. Rugged individualism, self-reliance, persistence, perseverance. Those are the qualities that made this country exceptional. And that's why. That's why. It's not whether or not Lady Gaga is going to get political or not. Even Lady Gaga, for all of her, and we have confirmed it is a her, because I know for several years that was debated, right? It, it is a her, or does she transcend gender, like David Bowie did when we were kids, Todd? But, you know, what's funny is the last two years, what has she done? Last year, she gave one of the most powerful renditions of the national anthem you'll ever hear. And this year, she sings God Bless America, guys. Okay. See, try as we might to remove ourselves from what it is that makes us uniquely American, from what it is that makes us a city on a hill. Try as we might to walk away, to evolve beyond it. We can't get away from the truth. See, it didn't, ma- it didn't matter how many fans the Patriots had. It didn't matter how many lawyers they hired. It didn't matter how many lobbyists they hired. They were going to remain down by 31 points, no matter how much they wailed, complained, and stomped their feet. They were going to have to come back the old-fashioned way, John Hausman. They were going to have to earn it. There would be no program, no redistribution of points. No victimization Scoreboard is a finite number, unchangeable, emotionless. Doesn't the scoreboard is blind? Doesn't really care what you think about it or feel about it. It will not change unless you let it change you. See, those are the things that are unique to the tapestry of our nation. And for all of the progressive lecturing we got, sanctimony in the, in the commercials, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, for all of that, it still boils down in the end to a team called the Flippin' Patriots that have to model the exact characteristics that make this country what it is and what it was in the first place to win. We can't get away from our own DNA. You can self-identify as whatever gender you want. Your chromosomes don't change. You can claim you're sexually attracted, whatever you want. Human physiology doesn't change. You can find your joy, your identity, and anything you want. But the source of joy and the source of your identity doesn't change. And the reason we have conflicts in our nation is when we try to run away from those things that were predetermined and determine them ourselves. As opposed to recognizing these things are predetermined. Therefore, it is up to me to use my gifts to their fullest potential. 
in order to turn those predeterminations into my advantage. Tom Brady wasn't going to be able to lobby the refs. Hey, I'm famous. Don't you know who I am? Shouldn't first downs be five yards when we have the ball and touchdowns be twice as many points? Nope. Whether you've been to nine Super Bowls like the Patriots or two like the Falcons, whether you've won four like the Patriots or none like the Falcons, the rules were the same. They don't change. And it's up to you to abide by them and be successful anyway. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Following the truth, no matter where it leads. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. And you know Tom Brady's not the only rags-to-riches story that was on that field. You know how many kids were born to single moms on that field? Do you know how many guys that if they didn't have this opportunity could never get into a college? Never have a chance to change the direction of their life. Never. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be a curmudgeon. Because chances are, whatever you think is more sacred than what happened yesterday, there are people that take that pursuit more seriously than they should as well and are out of balance with it in their lives too. The reason we love this sport, and this is the biggest event in our culture, is because it taps into all the things that make us uniquely American. For goodness sakes, what do most of the players do when the game is over? Gather around together, and what do they do? Pray. I mean, even the metaphor of a league that tries to say, you can't wear decals if you're the Dallas Cowboys that honor the slain soldiers in your own backyard, but Colin Kaepernick can use an NFL game as a platform for uh, Black Lives Matters. And still, even when they try to progressive, progressive up the sport, they still can't. They still can't wreck it. In the end, it still comes back to the values that made it what it was. There's a metaphor there for where our country is at right now. As much as we were inundated and lectured last night by insipidly sanctimonious, and trust me, guys, I know sanctimonious when I see it, (laughs) right? Insipidly sanctimonious commercial after commercial after commercial last night. My goodness, men, it was like they pulled the people that clicked like on Meryl Streep's Golden Globes uh, rant. That was those the ad agencies. Those were the only people they focus grouped. To decide who, who their target audience was. We even got commercials for thing for television shows called Handmaidens. Who in the world thought that was the Super Bowl audience was for that? Even as out of touch as these ad agencies were. Audi should change their name to Stepped on a Rake. They should, that, that should be the name of their company. That is literally the worst $10 million spent in American history to run an ad, a foreign company, with 16 members on its managerial committee, and 14 of them are white males, and to run an ad that says your daughters are worthless unless they make as much money as men. 
This was the first Super Bowl ever we all didn't watch this as a family. Wife decided to do something new. She likes football. Just decided to do something new. Took the girls out to some counter-programming. They went to that Space Between Us movie. Really, they really liked it, by the way. I'm just telling you right now, if my wife and oldest daughter had seen that commercial, I might have lost a television set last night. Because they, they, they finna lost it if they saw that. I won't even, I'm not even going to mention it to them. Because right, I know, I know, I know just out of pure spite and anger, the temperature in my house is going to drop 10 degrees. I'll be sleeping on the couch. I'll have a week-long vow of celibacy. And it won't even be my fault. Be yours, Audi. Okay? I don't know what you thought when you saw that ad as the father of four daughters, Todd. But, I mean, I had like an iced tea look like mama's got, someone's got to die tonight. I mean, I just, I, who in the world thought that was an ad they should run and I, I, and it, they weren't alone. It was just one after another, after another, after another. And, it, and it's like they all focus grouped the same comment section at Vox. I'm hearing about this for the first time. My four daughters and I, for the first half, watched Queen of Catway, which was empowering for a woman in far worse circumstances than the target audience of these fools. I turned on the game when it was 28-7 and just got to see that awesome second half highlight reel. So I'm the winner here. Yeah, and as you said in the first half, I mean, this is juxtaposed. This leftist propaganda through uh, throughout the game is juxtaposed with uh, the story of America in football form, one of the most masculine, one of the most uh, American sports, if you will. Uh, merit, one of our last merit-based ma- pursuits in America. And this juxtaposition, it was almost painful to watch, but it was still exhilarating because, as you pointed out so aptly in the first segment, this is, this is what we are about, and try as we might to change that and change the fabric of america tom brady and the patriots said nope we're not going to have any of that i mean i'm not trying to go you know um, hyper spiritualize well, or hyper patriot i'm not yet. trying to go field of dreams here okay uh with james earl joint the one constant throw of the years ray has been baseball i'm not trying to do that with football okay but 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 this is a uniquely american sport it's one of the last remaining todd merit masculine based meritocracies we have left which is why the progressives are all over it well it's not safe you can't play it and i'm reminded a few years ago when the the height of paranoia over concussions was going on uh usa today was writing a column prior to the super bowl and their edit their official paper editorial on why football is not safe and they asked me to write the opposing view. And, my, and I wrote an opposing view. For, they published. I was shocked. I thought it would never get published because I said, you're, you're full of horse bleep. I mean, you, this is the same op-ed page that wants to argue, let's put women on the front lines where they can get gang-raped and disemboweled in the name of gender equity. And then you want to tell me football with grown-ass men wearing full pads is not safe? I don't think you care about safety. Your real issue with this is it's one of the last remaining merit-based masculine pursuits we have in the country, and that's what you don't like about it. That's, of course, right. I, if I may, I will give the left Audi whomever credit, and I think this will resonate with you. Although they did it badly with these commercials, what they do and what we have to learn from is they have declared war on our culture. I think there's no question about that. I'm not a boycott guy. I'm not in general. I do think there are times like when Target decides they're going to use their bathrooms as a as Target practice for our kids. I think that if it, to me, I want to leave the pri- the economic sector out of our culture war as much as possible because that's one of those ain't no fun when the rabbits got the mm-hmm. gun moments. We all have to make a living. We all got to feed our families, right? Even if we disagree on what the definition of a family is, we all have mouths to feed. But when you use your economic platform now, you, you're welcome to take whatever money you earn, support whatever products you want, ideas you 
you want. And if I don't like that, I cannot support you. That's called freedom, and that's great. But when you start targeting, pardon the pun, my values now, and then turn around and say, give me your money to target your values. It's not that I just disagree with you now. I'm not just an, I'm not just an opponent. I'm an enemy. What Audi did last night and what several of these com- companies did last night, they ran ads saying we are an enemy of your value system. That's different than I'm just a liberal or a progressive, a, a company that has liberal or progressive values in its leadership. And so in many ways, it's going to happen again in what, two weeks, a week? at the Oscars, you know, it's happening in our kids' public schools right now. They're doing you a favor by telling you who they are. Don't take that for granted and fight back accordingly. Something 2016 did, and it continues uh, painfully but necessarily in 2017, is both on the right and the left. We now know where everyone stands. The question will be, as you as you rightly pointed out, Todd, they have declared war on our culture. The question will be, what are we what are we going to do about it? Are are we going to accept this, or are we going to? fight back in whatever ways we can that's that's the question that we have to answer you know what 2016 also did though it, it gave us the be- the greatest year i can ever remember yep. of championship sporting events how many came down to the wire the cavaliers down 3-1 last second shot cubs down 3-1 have to win it at the end villanova you, villanova with the, the last second buzzer shot out there north carolina had just hit one on the previous possession clemson came down they scoring a touchdown with a second left last night the first super bowl in overtime We may never see another year like that ever again. You're listening to Steve Dace. So that the world may know, this is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So, I want to give credit. I didn't watch the show. Uh, I, and, and I was joking about uh, what else I was going to be doing in the restroom when uh, Lady Gaga was going, as, as a metaphor alert, when she was performing, anticipating it would get political. That was somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I don't, I, I don't ever watch Super Bowl halftime shows. I think since... Uh, I think in the last 15 years, I've seen one, and it was when The Who performed, because you guys know I'm a big Who fan. And as Russell Crowe's Jorel said to Michael Shannon's Zod in Man of Steel, I will choose to honor the man you were, Roger Daltrey, by by not acknowledging that I watched that. Okay, because you, you don't like watching old guys hacking loogies. Yeah, that that was painful painful to watch and i and so i've sort of just scrubbed that that i watched that you know or I've, i'm remembering it like they did the super bowl like in 75 and they just replayed it on a video screen okay so i don't watch super bowl halftime shows anyway from what i understand though it was uh, fairly patriotic in tone and tame she didn't politicize it and um i i think i wanted to give her credit for that we don't have to guys we don't have to politicize everything i mean we really don't it's okay, and I know this term has been bastardized, safe space, but it is okay to have some safe spaces where we're just neighbors, where we're just Americans, right? And that goes for both sides, you know? It reminds me of when PBS was doing this thing with media personalities prior to Thanksgiving. How do you plan on talking about, you know, the election at Thanksgiving? They had me on their montage, and I, my response was, I'm not. 
I'm going to talk about what I'm thankful for. I'm going to talk to family. I'm going to watch football. I'm going to gorge myself. That's what Thanksgiving is about. Uh, it's not about this stuff. We don't, we don't have to politicize everything. And, and yet, Fox chose uh, to politicize the Super Bowl, uh, and I don't know why. They have their own show. They already have the. No- they don't need more promotion for the first time ever. Fox has surpassed ESPN as the number one cable network across formats in the country. All right, so Trump shilling is good for business over at Fox News. I, they did not have to bring him on and invite this. They chose to do it. I don't know why. It's not like they don't have a million other formats. We could have just been left alone. I know, and, I, and I'm sure they did it because O'Reilly did this with Obama a few years ago. The difference being at the time, Obama would not come on O'Reilly, would not come on Fox. Remember, that was the big thing. So they created a spot for him during the Super Bowl as sort of neutral territory. I mean, Fox is Trump's sports information department, guys. Okay, I mean, you can get him on anytime you want. All right? You probably have a better chance of... The only person that, Fo- that, that Trump's going to turn down to, for Fox is probably Putin. All right, so we didn't have to politicize this thing, and yet we did, and and this was one of the clips that made the rounds from O'Reilly's interview with Donald Trump. Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with them. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why you think our country's so innocent? What were you saying about our national holiday? I, I just... <laughs> How many people have you killed, Steve? Do, do, you, do, you know, do you know what my email inbox would, be, would look like right now if that exact conversation took place in this context, but, but it was just Barack Obama saying that? Do you know what my email inbox would look like right now? Oh, he hates America. Secret Muslim days! It, I mean, it would be everywhere. Everywhere. Do you know how many emails I've gotten about this? When I checked my box when I woke up this morning, you know how many emails I got about it? Zilch. I get like 200 to 300 emails a day. Didn't get a single one. Nothing. Nothing. And yet if Obama had said this, the line of conservative Republicans including some that we're friends with. The stampede, the, uh, the, most, the unsafest place to be in Washington, D.C., if Obama or any Democrat had said this, would be between a camera on Fox News and one of these conservative Republicans. It would look, it would look like Ada B.C. declared war on Schillinger on Oz. Okay, if Obama or a Democrat had said this, it would have been a prison riot. The amount of people, including some people we know, they would trample each other to call first to get the first clip, the first soundbite denouncing this. And yet, largely what we've heard today in the last couple of days, crickets. There have been few. Mitch McConnell said something. Heaven forbid you put me on his side again. I want to talk more about this here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace.
your daily truth project. This is Steve Dace. While appearing on ABC's George Stephanopoulos yesterday, Trump also said that it's never been proven that Putin is responsible for the deaths of, uh, of dissident Russian journalists. Um, to which one reporter went back and listed 56 journalists that have been killed in Russia since 1992. Well, it's Western propaganda, Steve. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what it is. All the polls are definitely wrong about Trump, but as far as this murder stuff, yeah. So just just as I don't understand why leftists want to bring waves of foreigners to a country they loathe, right? I mean, if we're so racist, sexist, homophobic, why subject these poor foreigners to America? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why bring waves of foreigners? Why subject them to a country you loathe? They're better off where they are. I also don't understand notions of America first if we're just as bad as everybody else. That doesn't make any sense to me either. Why should we be America first if we suck? Why should we do that? Which, what are we first in? Well, apparently killing as many people as Putin. There is a vast chasm. Now, listen, you know what's funny too, about ironic about this? It's Trump's nationalist buddies who are America, love it or leave it. That's what nationalism does. I have no problem criticizing your country, your country when you're wrong. I think that's what makes you a patriot, or one of the things anyway. But there's a vast chasm between drawing, between saying, here's my, where my country's wrong and I disagree, to drawing a moral equivalency to a guy who wept when the Soviet Union fell. Vast chasm, guys. Vast chasm. All right. Wait, I know. I, I, I know. Again? This is I'm... the era of false choices. We have. There, there's nothing in between the w- w- two flawed premises on the on the opposite ends of the binary spectrum. But there's a vast chasm between those two tentpoles, Todd. Wasn't Steve Bannon face palming somewhere when Trump said this? I mean, this was like somehow Howard Zinn hijacked uh, the speech with uh, Trump. I, I, this is like the last thing. Bannon would ever nice tell. reference, by the way. <laughs> that's You're what's right. crazy about You're this. You're right. I mean, that's that's revisionist, anti-American, leftist, historical college campus. Um, that that's Soviet propaganda. Is, is that line from Trump is Soviet propaganda? I mean, and you would think a guy who knows who's been around pro wrestling as much as Trump has over his life, and Vince McMahon's his personal friend, he even pointed his wife to a cabinet post. You'd think he would remember there was a reason that the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov were always on the same tag team, guys. Okay, I mean, I, for those of you now who are about to email me, Steve, don't you think it would be good if we were friends with Russia because they could help us beat the Islamic <laughs> radicals? Okay, that is the Trumpian propaganda horse pucky line of them all. Iran has been since Reagan. We have listed Iran, the number one terrorist sponsoring state in the in the world. Do you know who one of their best friends on planet Earth is? Vladimir Putin, Russia. He's the Miss Havisham. Want some more obscure literary references? How's that one for you? Because I can't let Todd have the only one tonight. We're balancing okay. out with Americana and football and places thing and names no one's ever heard. You You're go doing Howard an excellent Zinn, job. I'm going. I'm going to go Dickens. All right. So there you go. But the point I'm making is he is their benefactor, their benevolent benefactor. But you're right. He's totally going to help us beat Islamic radicalism, guys. Totally. He's totally going to. Assad only remained in power. Back a few years ago when we were debating whether to take him out because he was gassing his people, who propped him up? Putin. Putin did. He's not your friend, guys. 
He's not your friend. The guy funding Iran's uranium program is not going to help you eradicate Islamic terrorism. That is a beyond naive view, as, as well as the, it, it's ignorant of history. Well, Steve, you know, we, we align with Stalin to beat the Nazis. You know, I mean, come on, Steve, you got to read your history. You're right. You should read yours. And when we made that alliance, you know what we got out of it? Yeah, we did. We got rid of the Nazis. And what emerged next was another evil, evil empire that lasted decades longer, enslaved more people, and killed even more people than the Nazis did. The Soviet Union. That's what we got out of it. Yeah, they said, hey, we'll be happy to join, join up. And uh, they just kept planting hammer and sickles all the way east from Mosque, from Stalingrad to, to Berlin. And then took half of Berlin, too, while they were there. That didn't work, guys. It worked at the time, but historically, that, 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 that didn't work, guys. Okay? That didn't work. Soviet Union pointed nuclear weapons at us for decades after this. Didn't work, guys. Trusting the Russians historically has been a bad gambit. Ask the British and the French in World War I. Never works. Trusting, I'm, I'm trying to remember when trusting the Russians in world history did work. I don't know if Peter the Great came through once or twice. I don't know. But I, I, I'm trying to remember when trusting the Russians has ever worked, guys. Has it ever worked? Not off the top of my head that I can think of. So that's an ignorant view of history, number one. Number two, it's an ignorant view of the geopolitical scene. You don't really know who the players are and, and who is zooming who. And number three, it doesn't make any sense to me. China is the one nation on earth that can challenge us economically and militarily. Russia cannot. Russia can't challenge us in either sense. That's what Putin. That's why Putin's playing these games. He's trying to reassert their dominance on the world stage. Right now, they're they're a B they're a B actor, guys. All right, they're that they're that they're that they're that aging actor who now guest stars on episodic television when he used to be a movie star in the seventies and eighties. That's what Russia is. Okay, they're not they're not an A list team. China is, and yet Trump is all Kumo D. How you like me now with China? Trashing them, tearing them down, threatening them every chance he gets. That's the country we actually need. Hell, they're our landlord, number one. Number two, as my, not, as my 11-year-old daughter Zoe likes to say, everything we buy is made in China. Exactly. Right, like, so everything we need is, pr- is practically made there. They're the country we actually need to have a relationship with. Russia, we do not. We don't need to have a relationship with Russia. And so yet we're all Kumo D, how you like me now, with China. Or China. And then we're... Bet Midler, wind beneath my wings. Survive with Donald Trump. Dog. Yes, it doesn't make any sense. Now, I came up with these yesterday. I'm going to share these when we come back here in a moment. And I want to give you guys this quick take on this. Because I, I tried to come up with reasons. Because what would be the reasons for this? I came up with five. Now, I don't think any of these reasons are good, by the way. None of them are good. I don't think there's any reasons at all why we would have a Soviet propaganda spewing America first president who is willing to, it seems, tear down the shibboleths of the damned almost everywhere else except where the Iron Curtain is hiding. It makes no sense at all. So there's five possible reasons why I think this is the case. When we come back, I'm going to go through them quickly. And gentlemen, you tell me which one you think it is or none of the above in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace.
where nine black-robed masters don't get to become their own self-appointed constitutional convention, The Steve Day Show. Todd was teasing me during the break. He says, I love how this bothers you. You get wound up over this. You're darn right I do. The same reason watching Obama's apology tour bothered me. I can't stand watching the leaders of my country testicle polish for tyrants. Can't stand it. Whether they're bowing to, to Saudi princes that export Wahhabism around the world or, or, or Vladimir Putin, I can't stand it. Can't stand it. So there's five possible reasons why I think this is happening. One, I think Trump just has an affinity for uh, this level of authoritarianism. Uh, just classic bromance, man crush. Two, I think he has some of the same nationalistic goals to undo NATO and our post-World War II alliances that uh, Putin has. Three, just enjoys ticking off the political class's conventional wisdom and just takes it too far at times, and this would be one of them. Four, Putin has something on him. Or five, the Sith rule of two. And I mean this metaphorically. I mean, you know, the idea there can only be two of them. You know, so uh, Trump sees Putin as the other one. Like when, you know, Vader looks at Skywalker and says, you know, together we can rule the galaxy. That's kind of what I mean. I don't, I can't think of, or I, I could not think of other reasons for this level of subservience to this gangster tyrant than these five. What do you think, Todd? I think the most likely answer of the four is number four, that Putin has something on him. But also, I think this is the international version of Kanye West to Trump. I, it, it doesn't bug me as much only because I think Trump just is this shallow. I think this is a guy who, for now, he's going to keep in his, his in his sphere. And when the time comes, he will go little Marco or lying Ted on him. It's just some dumb fascination right now. I hope you are right. I hope you are right. But there have been no signs at all of that being the case. He is expending political capital, credibility of the presidency, saying stuff like this, yeah, that's, that, that you don't get it back. You don't get it back when yeah, you spend he, it. He went on to say that, well, I think it'd be better if we got along with Russia than not. No, 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 no. It's better if Russia gets along with us. Yes. This, that's this, exactly right, Eric. Uh, he? He's in your exactly, you uh, one, you've surrendered the moral high ground. Well, what makes you think that we're so innocent? And then two, uh, you've uh, lessened your uh, bargaining position with uh, Putin by essentially saying, well, we want to get along with you and not vice versa. This is the classic mistake liberals and foreign policy always make. If we apologize enough... If we show our weaknesses enough, if we emaciate ourselves enough, if we emasculate ourselves enough, then they'll see that we really truly have seen the error of our own arrogant ways and they will like us. Tell me when that's ever worked. Well, I guess the question we have now is who is he losing political capital with? We thought we knew a lot of things a year ago and we clearly did not understand them. So what is the board now? Who are the players? That is a conversation we will probably carry over into the next hour. Listen, we're still talking about a guy that 26% of voter el- voting eligible Americans voted for. You can't lose any political capital when that's the case. But we'll talk more about that next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. At Steve Day Show. Bob Vanderplatz joins us from the Family Leader. My friend, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Great Super Bowl, by the way. There, that was a well. It was it was great a great comeback. finish. Yes, I mean for about an hour for for most of it, it was through third, three quarters. Yes, uh, feel bad for the city of Atlanta. Uh, one of the very first uh, big markets we ever where we were ever able to land our show in, and I've been there a lot the last few years. It's a great town, and uh, that's maybe the most gut wrenching loss. Mm. It, it ranks among the worst any pro football team has ever had. I mean, I, I remember the game. I watched it live when the Oilers blew the uh, 35-3 to lead to Buffalo, but that was a divisional playoff game, and it was on the road. I mean, that's heartbreaking, yes. This is a Super Bowl, and you're up 28-3 to with about five minutes to go in the third quarter. I remember just watching the owner in the box mm-hmm. of the, the Atlanta Falcons owner in the box all the way to the Atlanta owner's or Falcons owner on the sideline. Yeah, the way his wife was looking at him at the end when the Patriots are coming back, and I felt bad. She had this look like, oh man, his heart's just getting right ter- now. The thing, the upside for the Falcons, they've got a really good quarterback and a very young team. How great was Tom Brady down the stretch? You mentioned uh, Atlanta's quarterback. Matt Ryan had a 144.1 quarterback rating. To put that in perspective, a perfect game for an NFL quarterback, I think, is 157. So that would have been like the greatest quarterback rating in the history of the Super Bowl, and he lost, okay? And he lost. When and you, I know people are, well, he took that sack at the end. You know you really need to blame that on? If you want to blame it on anybody in Atlanta, you're up 28-3, to and you ran the ball only five more times in the game. Blame it on your offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. particularly because New England wasn't doing much to stop that running game. I mean, why they weren't out there running the football is beyond me, but... But still, New England, even with those questionable play decisions by Atlanta, I mean, Brady had to go out there with an incredible... He was The way he was dealing at the end, it was like watching Kurt Schilling with a bloody sock there down the stretch. I mean, it was just... He was just existing on a different astral plane than the rest of the guys out there on the field. And at the end, it wasn't... One incredible it, it, catch by yeah. Julian Edelman, too. It wasn't if they were going to score. It was just how many yeah, dollars it. was it going to take to get you, them there. You, you knew it. You knew when they won the coin flip. You knew. And Atlanta knew it. Everyone knew. It was just a matter of yeah. who would be the hero at the very end. Who would, well, who would get across the end We're zone. two guys. That's not what the segment's about, but we're two guys. We enjoy watching football. We enjoy watching great comebacks. Tom Brady, uh, in my opinion, he's got to be ranked up there with the greatest of all time. You know, though, there is there is a, a tie into what we normally talk about here, though, because last night there were Sean King and several other leftist uh, pundits were having fun on social media. Uh, with this is what you get for being Trump's team. You're down 28 to three in the Super Bowl, and it was so much like the election <laughs> with all these people. Lying. It's oh, I even when it was 28 to three, I even said I think this is over. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 98 and a half percent of the time when you're up, when you're down 28 to three with five minutes to go in the third quarter in an NFL game where they don't stop the clock as much as they do in college football, 
it is over. But then to watch this play out exactly like the election did down the stretch, and for everything to go right for New England to pull this off, just as it did for Trump to go right to pull it off, and I, I even read last night that he, Trump even turned it off, his, had his own Super Bowl party at the White House, and even essentially at deserted... Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Oh, it was at Mar-a-Lago, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And essentially even deserted the game... Thinking it was boring, Patriots well, he lost, tweeted. he was all ticked off that his friends were losing, right? I, you know, I follow him, and, and he, tweet, he tweeted, this is boring, politics is so much more exciting, and basically I'm going back to make America great again. So, you know, I'm leaving the Super Bowl party, I'm going back to work. But I also saw a tweet of his where it said, you know, the Falcons have a 92% chance of winning the game right now. And he tweeted, where have I heard these odds before? Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the Patriots come back, and they win. And there were some interesting tweets, even from Sean Spicer and others, uh, that I thought was kind of comical. Sean, speaking of comical, Sean Spicer got disemboweled on Saturday Night Live this week. I did watch I mean, that. Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer was... That wasn't gold, brother. That was platinum. Gold-plated platinum is how good. And if, you know, if you've ever interacted with Sean Spicer, that was gold-plated platinum, Bob. Well, there were some really good tweets about that as well. I did end up watching. I did end up laughing. Uh, it is satire. I understand that. And sometimes it's not even appropriate satire. Yeah, it's not. But, that, that wasn't too far uh, from the truth, man. And but uh, Saturday Night Live is is having a lot of fun in not only this election, but now in this presidency. Now we spent some time last hour talking about the commercials. All right. So Todd went to so, had movie night with his daughters and didn't see the game till the second half. Did you watch the entire thing? I watched. Yeah, I watched the entire game. All right, so you saw the commercials then, too. I did, but I got to tell you, I'm one of those guys who still is, you know me, I like to engage people. Mm -hmm. And so the commercial times when I like to engage people. So so I did not pay near as close of attention to a lot of these commercials as others did. I do remember Kia's. I thought Kia's was, uh, you know, really good. This was was a progressive onslaught. I oh, mean, sure. and, and it wasn't even subtle, and it wasn't just a couple. I mean, it was it was an onslaught. It was it was like advertising agencies decided to only focus group uh, the people who clicked like on Meryl Streep's Golden Globes rant for what for what messages they wanted to hear. It was like they thought Hillary Clinton won this election by twenty points. That the entire country is California, and the worst offender was Audi. To run an ad, I mean, we, in fact, I, I joked last hour, they should change their co- corporate name this, this, this morning to, or they should have changed it this morning to Stepped on a Rake. I mean, for, for a foreign company that has a 16-person board of directors and 14 of them are white males, to be out there making the argument that your daughters are worth less pay, than pay, your sons because they, yeah. don't, they don't make as much money, which is a, f- a flat-out lie anyway, but for that to be your marketing message... Uh, that might be the worst $10 million ever spent in world history. Well, that's the thing. It's not only the marketing message. How much money are you spending to research and design and focus group and, and to market test this thing? And then for how many people had to click on and say, hey, this is really good? That's true. I mean, $10 million is what it cost to buy, just put the ad on the, for the inventory. That isn't, that's not the production cost. Yeah, $10 million, Let's go ahead. Let's put this thing out to market. And us. it's like, you're right. Uh, that was not a good move. Why, I mean – what does that tell you corporate America thinks America is? I mean, they're running ads for TV shows about handmaidens from, you know, from uh, from a day. I mean, who do they think's watching this thing? Well, I think what it is, Steve, is uh, and, and we've seen this play out for a long time. The the corporate America understands that the left is going to is going to make them cares. They're, they're going to force them that you will want to care about this. 
So the left is screaming. They're screaming very loud. They're having the marches. They're having the protests, the demonstrations, primarily against Trump and his administration and the executive orders and the leadership. And so they're threatening corporate America. And corporate America is buying into it, saying, okay, therefore, you know, we're going to we're going to bend over backwards to make sure that we appease you, because quite frankly, those of us on the right, we have not been out to say, I want to take a company down. I want to cost a lot of people jobs. It's kind of like if you put together a good product, I'll support it. And I'd like to know what your politics are. But if it's if it's a product that is superior, you know, we still would buy that. One of the things that happened in the Super Bowl, it did not get politicized where maybe we were fearing. Uh, Lady Gaga didn't politicize her halftime show, for example. And that was everything. She was even- so, so Lady Gaga, where is our bar? <laughs> I mean, I understand. She did not politicize. Matter of fact, that was really good for Lady Gaga. And I think it was Glenn Beck who tweeted, uh, the one way to be shocking for Lady Gaga is to not be shocking. Is not to be shocking. That's a good, and that's a good point. But her whole song is still born this way, which was one of the most shocking songs of it all about, you know, get over it. We're all born this way, so we get to do whatever we want. For you and I, who are kind of total depravity type people, yeah, we agree. We're, we are, we're, we are, we're, we are we're born all, this way. We're all born this way. Uh, that's And that's the problem. Yes. I, I agree. Fox politicized it. Now, I, I kind of know why they did this. Last time they had the Super Bowl, O'Reilly interviewed President Obama. and and But to me, the circumstances were different because Obama wouldn't come on Fox News. O'Reilly tried to get an interview with Obama for years, and he wouldn't agree to it. So the Super Bowl was kind of neutral ground. Uh, Fox is Trump's sports information department. They're his publicity arm. About the only thing that that Trump would say no to Fox for is Putin, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Because when we come back, uh, he said something yesterday. I, I just... If this had come from anybody, literally anybody with a D after their name, my inbox would have been, I get two to 300 emails a day, and 90% of them would have been about this. Pitches for guests about this, uh, people losing their minds, uh, secret Muslim Obama, I, nothing. I, I've gotten out of the couple Crickets. hundred emails, nothing. nothing. I mean, if, if a Democrat had said what Trump said yesterday, even people you and I know and like in the Republican Party... The most dangerous place to be in Washington would be between them and the Fox News cameraman as they trampled each other, racing to be the first on screen to denounce America bashing. Instead, it's crickets. And, and I'm, I'm really upset about this. And I want you to tell me whether or not I should be when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Making all the right enemies, Steve Dace. All right, back here with Bob Vanderplatz of The Family Leader here on The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. So yesterday during the Super Bowl pregame show, Bill O'Reilly interviews President Donald Trump and tries to narrow him down on uh, his his bromance uh, man crush on Vladimir Putin. Here's a snippet of that conversation, Bob Vanderplatz. Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with them. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why do you think our country's so innocent? Help me to understand. Okay, I, this I don't understand. I don't get why he's all kumo di, how you like me now, with everybody else, including China, 
who's the one nation on earth that can actually challenge us militarily and economically, and they're practically our landlords. I mean, if there was anybody to kiss up to, I well, mean, they, they hold our debt. Yeah, I mean, the Bushes, the Bush family's been kissing up to China most of my for most of my life. So I mean, at least kiss up to the right people. Kiss up to the people that hold the that hold the note. They can call the note into the bank, right? Then point it's, and point know, and point more soldiers at you than you can point at them. That's you know, who you kiss up to. Scripture says you're only as free as your indebtor allows you to be. Right, and that's China for us. Yes, this one I don't understand. We don't need them. They need us. They literally have nothing to offer us on any level at all. They are Russia is the guy who was a movie star in the 70s and 80s and and now can only get guest starring roles on episodic television and you remember what he looks like but he but he's just not enough to carry a, a show on his own anymore Scott right? Bale perhaps <laughs> right that's what that's what Russia is i mean they're not they're they're yesterday's news and so i don't understand help me to understand i'm i'm how you like me now with everybody else i'm bet miller's wind beneath my wings with vladimir putin we're talking about a guy right now who has the the worst approval rating of a of a first month president in the history of the Gallup poll. And so why he's on television in front of 100 million Americans expending political capital to defend the credibility of Putin with Soviet era propaganda. This is the stuff we heard from leftists when we were kids. Well, why 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 does it matter if the Soviet Union takes Afghanistan? We're terrible too. This is what we heard from the left about the Russians when we were growing up. Why he wants to use his platform to polish this guy's testicles. Please help me to understand cuz I don't get it and I hate it. I can't stand it. In fact, I couldn't stand watching Obama bow to tyrants in the Middle East and I can't stand watching him bow to the one in the to the one in the Kremlin. I, the, for all of our faults, and on this show we talk about them, and I've got no problem with calling out faults. I'm not a nationalist, but there's a vast chasm between. My country makes mistakes, and we're morally equivalent to the guy who wept when the Soviet Union fell. Okay, I can't. This this world would be pitch black without us. Pitch freaking black. And to go out there and to say this on Super Bowl Sunday. I really don't like that stuff. You know, Steve, first of all, I don't get it. I appreciate your passion, and my passion is right there with you. And the one thing that I'd say about President Trump where I really don't get it, I don't get it for all the reasons you just laid out, but this guy understands an audience like nobody else. Why do you think he goes after the media with reckless abandon all the time? Why? Because people like you, like me, and the people we hang out with, they distrust the mainstream media. They think the mainstream media is in the left, in the leftist tank because they are. They want to champion a progressive agenda because they do. And so he goes after the media. He goes around the media to go to people to call out the media and people applaud that. The thing is, is that you and I and many Americans, red, white, and blue Americans, they don't trust Vladimir Putin. They see him as a murderer. They see him as a thug. They see him as a KGB. That's, so they see him as Vladimir Putin. They do. They see him for who he is. And so, therefore, to be cozying up to him, that's one of those things you and I talked about, about a scorpion and a frog. At some time, you're going to get stung. And we're going to turn around and go, what do you mean? Why would you do what well, you knew I was a scorpion the whole time. You knew I was Vladimir Putin the whole time time and i think he would do himself his image a lot of good by taking on vladimir putin because you're right on the right it was crick it was so much crickets on the right nobody was talking about this i went to the left i just didn't go to the left i went to the extreme left you and nancy pelosi saying about this I want Trump investigated, everything about Trump investigated in the ties to Russia, because she's saying this makes no sense. Every time we've seen this tactic polled with totalitarians, 
and 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 it's before it's always come from the left okay apologize for america we're terrible too we have no moral standing tell me when this tactics ever worked Tell, tell me, tell me when we emaciate ourselves enough, we emasculate ourselves enough, we expose ourselves enough, we apologize enough. Tell me when we do that enough to please and satiate thugs like this, and when that's ever worked. It never works. Matter of fact, Steve, you and I were on your show. Uh, this would have been a couple years ago, and this is when Obama was saying something like America was not an exceptional country. You know, the only reason we believe we're exceptional is because we're Americans, but we're not an exceptional country. We don't have something over any other country. And then what happened? Putin started taking the tenets of American exceptionalism, and he started highlighting those. And back then on your show, we said what Putin's trying to do is get back on the world stage. That's exactly And right. Obama was opening up the door for him to get on the world stage. But now what Trump is doing, Trump is elevating his presence on the world stage. And that's why you're seeing serious Republican conservative leaders dis, I mean, distancing themselves from Trump in regards to, no, Vladimir Putin is Vladimir Putin. He's a murderer. He's a thug. He's a KGB. And he hates this country. Just as I don't understand why leftists want to bring waves of foreigners to a country they think is racist, misogynistic, sexist, and homophobic. Why subject those poor immigrants to this terrible country? I don't understand why Trump wants to be all America first if we're just as if we're just as bad as Vladimir Putin. This, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, this is one of those. Matter of fact, it, it does not. It, why does it make sense? It doesn't fit the branding of Donald Trump. And Trump, if he understands one thing more than anything, he understands his brand. You're right. And to me, think of how much it would elevate Trump's brand if he was the one taking on Putin versus the one saying, I want to cozy up with him. All right. So I've got a minute here. I want to get your quick take on this. I think there's only five reasons to brown nose Putin. One, Trump just has an affinity for authoritarianism. Two, Trump shares his nationalistic goals to undo NATO and our post-World War II alliances in Europe. Three, he just enjoys ticking off the political class's conventional wisdom and takes it too far at times. Four, Putin has something on him. Or five, the Sith rule of two. And Trump sees Putin as the other guy, that essentially they can work to, they can combine together to rule the West. I can't think of any other reasons. I don't think those are, any of those are good reasons, but what's your take? Well, well, because this I, is way out of character with how he yeah. operates with everything else. Well, my first take would be, you're right. Uh, none of those are good reasons. Uh, just psychologically, not saying that I I understand President Trump psychologically. But psychologically, I look at it as a, a very tough guy, having great respect for another, somebody who's viewed as a very tough guy. And I think that is a very wrong reason uh, to basically say we're morally equivalent uh, with Russia. China is a lot stronger than he is. Why, why, why does he club them like baby seals on the National Geographic channel then? It's almost like he's trying to elevate him. It's almost like he is attempting to. My, my, my belief with China a little bit is I think because of some of his business deals and investments and those types of things that China may have gotten the better of him. And because of the policies, China has taken our leaders for fools. I think he's correct on that. And because of that, I think he wants to, to get back at China with his leadership now to say we're going to make this fair for this country. I don't have a problem with that. Sure, that's a very good. That's a yeah. good reason. I don't have a problem with that. It just doesn't. It doesn't it reconcile do- with this with exactly. this act over here. Agreed. And that's why I'm so troubled by it. All right, when we come back, Mike Pence, the vice president, mentioned Mr. Vanderplatz on national television yesterday. We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
didn't promise you'd like him. He just promised to tell you the truth. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network with Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader, who joins us each Monday night at this time. So your name was invoked, hopefully not in vain, on one of the Sunday morning shows yesterday. Normally we would not play a clip this long, but it doesn't just include you, but several other things as well that I think our audience needs to hear. So this is about four minutes. This is Mike Pence and George Stephanopoulos talking about a couple of of key issues, uh, including a concern that you raised over the weekend on religious liberty. Listen to this. President Trump also promised a pro-life justice. Uh, Judge Gorsuch has never ruled directly on Roe v. Wade. Are you confident that he would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade on the court? You know, as, as someone who, like the president, cherishes the sanctity of life, that's an important issue to me, as it is for millions of Americans. But in this deliberation, and I was honored to be a part of the process. You spoke with the judge, right? I did. And the president, uh, the president asked me to be a part of a small group that interviewed all the finalists for this decision. But what the president directed us to look for was someone who would be faithful to the Constitution, who would simply apply the law as written, who would have the character, the temperament, uh, and the courage uh, that the American people want to see. Did you ask him directly about Roe v. Wade? I did not. And I, you know, what, what, what the president charged us to do was to find someone who had the background, the experience, the unimpeachable credentials, the character, but also just to be faithful to the Constitution as written. We're in this hallowed hall where the Congress met in 1790. We're right next door to Independence Hall where the Constitution was written. Um, that and the framework of this government have created the greatest a quality of life in the history of mankind. And I'm confident that in Judge Neil Gorsuch, we'll have someone on the court who'll keep faith with the Constitution. President Trump decided this week to let stand President Obama's executive order on LGBT rights. And it prompted this question from a prominent social conservative, Bob Vanderplatz. He said, our base is wondering why Obama's executive order is allowed to stand. What's the answer? I think throughout the campaign, President Trump made it clear that, that discrimination would have no place uh, in our administration. I mean, he was the very first Republican nominee to mention the LGBTQ community at our Republican National Convention and was applauded for it. And, and I was there applauding with him. I think the generosity of his spirit, it, recognizing that, that in, in the patriot's heart there's no room for prejudice uh, is, is part of who this president is. But I also think that the speech that he gave this week at the National Prayer Breakfast, reiterating his commitment to repeal the Johnson Amendment, that's put a chilling effect on free speech in religious institutions around the country, and his reiterated commitment to religious liberty are all a part of the kind of leadership that Do you think a new executive order is necessary on religious liberty or is current law sufficient? Well, the president's made it clear that he wants to take action on the Johnson Amendment. Back in the 1950s, the Congress passed a law that essentially threatened the tax-exempt status of churches and synagogues and, and religious institutions if they were seen to be involved in political expression. Uh, I have to tell you, I don't, I don't think we'd have ever made it to these hallowed halls back in 1790 if the, if the pulpits of this country had been silenced from speaking about what they thought was right and wrong. And the president provided real leadership in the campaign where he identified the Johnson Amendment and he told people of faith of every background across this country that he would work to repeal it. 
And he's directed the administration to begin to look at ways, both legislatively and through executive action, to do that. But no executive orders beyond that, beyond the John, fixing the Johnson Amendment, in your view? Well, I think that'll be the purview of the president to determine whether any of that's necessary. But, um, but I, I will tell you for our part, uh, the focus of this administration will continue to be to have a safer America, to have a more prosperous America, and to continue to advance the president's agenda, both on Capitol Hill and through executive action, and carry that message all across the country. I just want to say this up front, and then since your name was brought up, I'm going to let you have as much time as you want to react and respond to what was just said. Do I have to? (laughs) Mike Pence claiming on national television that he never asked Neil Gorsuch about Roe v. Wade. As someone you heard him say, the president asked him to take point on helping to vet these judges. For Pence to claim I never asked Neil Gorsuch about Roe v. Wade is either an incredulous lie or an incredulous malfeasance. There's not a good option there. I mean, either either that's just an incredulous lie. Uh, and, and frankly, that might be the one you're hoping it is, that he's just literally going to lie in the hopes that by lying, I don't have this argument with George Stephanopoulos this morning and we slip Neil Gorsuch past the goalie, or it's incredible malfeasance to say, I have, to not know where a guy whose judicial record is largely a blank slate on this issue truly stands. Bob, you'll get the balance of time when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show all right back here with bob vanderplas from the family leader i still can't believe mike pence wants us to believe he didn't ask neil gorsuch about roe v wade i, I just okay All right. Uh, so, Bob, I, I'm going to keep my word. Uh, the promise I gave you was you will have the balance of time when we come back, Bob Vanderplatz, to respond to this clip because your name was mentioned prominently in it. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, on the, the Roe v. Wade issue, and and I got notified when I was in church yesterday, I got texted, hey, your name just got brought up uh, with this week with George Stephanopoulos, and he's interviewing the vice president. I thought, oh, boy, I need to go watch that clip. I watched the clip actually this morning. I didn't watch it on Sunday, but I watched it this morning. And I saw the Roe v. Wade comment. And this comes on the heel. This goes to your question, Steve, where we're now President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, with Hillary Clinton in the debate, said, I'm going to appoint a pro-life justice. I mean, he, he, he elevated that above anything with the Constitution. Kind yeah. of saying, Say, I wanted, he, he vowed in the presidential debates, I'm going to appoint justices that will overturn Roe. Yeah. So it was a pro-life justice. And so when, when George asked Vice President Pence this question, and when I saw Vice President Pence's answer about, no, we never, we didn't go there, I thought, it's got to be one of two things. Either the two things that you just said, either a malfeasance or a flat-out lie, or were there questions that 
that somehow around that you could ascertain his views on the sanctity of human life issue without asking about Roe. Because in my opinion, when you're vetting a person that you're going to appoint to the Supreme Court and your number one issue is a pro-life justice, I probably would ask at least give me the constitutional framework and background when it comes to as it would apply to Roe v. Wade. Because this is not that, that's 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 like a woman asking a guy, you know, I'd kind of like to know just your general views on commitment and the institution of marriage. And after you've been dating for a long time, right? You just in general, I mean, just what do you think of the institution? You know, what's your favorite jewelry store, right? But you never bother to even ask him if he plans on marrying mm-hmm. you. Ladies, I think we all know the answer to that. Well, well here's the thing, Steve, is that it, oftentimes when you're vetting a potential judge, you may bring up some case and they say, hey, without looking at the merits of the case, without looking at the arguments, I, I refrain from giving an opinion on what I would do there. Roe v. Wade is not one of those cases. Roe v. Wade has been has been thought through. It's argued the defining through. Supreme Court decision of our era. And so I would think, and, and either George should have had more of detailed follow up questions to Vice President Pence, or Vice President Pence is being honest. Listen, we never asked him about Roe, but in other questions, we were able to ascertain the sanctity of human life. I hope. That's the case with him. If, if I was sitting in George Stephanopoulos' seat, I would have grabbed an umbrella, and I would have said, hey, Mike, your fly's down, and it's not raining in here, okay? You mean to tell me you didn't, you, you didn't ask? You don't have a clue? Really? You don't really know? I don't know. I don't know. Frankly, the more we play this out, I'm just as incredulous at the journalistic negligence of sure, uh, George Stephanopoulos for not following up on that and taking but, but, that at but, face value. But there's two pieces to this clip that your audience needs to hear. The, fir- the first piece, where we just talked about the Roe v. Wade question, but the second piece is on religious liberty. And and what happened is I tweeted out on Friday afternoon when Political broke a story that it looked like Ivanka, uh, Trump, and Jared Kushner uh, they thwarted. That's Trump's son-in-law. For yep. those who don't know, they thwarted an effort uh, to repeal the executive order. Now, this executive uh, order, we should explain what it is. Essentially, you know, because Trump says we're not. Sure. There's no place for discrimination in the heart of a patriot. Well, apparently, there is against Christians. That's what Pence because, said. Yeah, because what the order does is it says you, as a Christian, cannot be a government contractor or employee if you're not willing to set aside uh, your own religion in order to accept the, the dictates of the rainbow jihad. That's what the order is. And, and that's the thing. So so when we talked about religious liberty here, we got asked that question. He said, listen, uh, part of our administration, uh, President Trump was very open about it in Cleveland at the Republican National Convention. We're not going to discriminate against anybody. This is not about discriminating against LGBT anything. This is about hostile discrimination against people who want to provide services to the federal government like a a social work service saying, you know what, we're going to fulfill a contract. But if you happen to be a Christian social work service and you don't embrace the LGBT agenda, then you don't then you don't get to play. You don't get that's discrimination. So to me that's what should have been played out. Now the thing that Stephanopoulos did ask him, he said, is there another executive order coming on religious liberty? We have been told it's been leaked all over the place. So this is not breaking news. But it's been leaked all over the place that there is a comprehensive executive order being being ready to be issued for religious liberty. I could only hope that would be the case. 
Ryan Anderson says, you know, don't buckle now. Here's your opportunity to make good. From the Heritage Foundation. From the Heritage Foundation. So to me, the Roe v. Wade answer I was very concerned about with Vice President Pence. And the religious liberty answer, I was frankly quite disturbed with Vice President Pence, because this isn't about discriminating against Why it lines up with what he did as governor of Indiana. But but this isn't, you're exactly right. Repealing the LGBT order would have been the what he wanted to do with RIFRA in Indiana. Without question, that is. But then to say we're not going to discriminate, well, our concern is what about the photographer? What about the baker? What about the fire chief that gets fired? What about the social worker that wants to provide services? The military chaplain. Those are the people we're concerned about. And the Johnson Amendment, which we talk about repealing. It's a, it's a joke. The, Fig leaf, shiny object. But even repealing the Johnson Amendment. It, it's, as, done, it's done so that the sellouts like Ralph Reed yeah. in your industry, the pretend Republican shills, can, can say they got, a, they got something. Yeah. that The Johnson Amendments cost one church like ever. It's, yeah. it's 501c3. And while we, could applaud, while we could applaud repealing the Johnson Amendment, that's almost more of a freedom of worship issue than it is a religious liberty issue. Religious liberty is the Gertz House in Grimes, Iowa. The religious religious liberty issue is the photographer and the baker and the fire chief and the military chaplain. Can you actually live out your belief? That's a big issue. Your pastor is not preaching the full counsel of God because of the Johnson Amendment. He's not doing it because he's a coward. There were a slew of churches, including several in our own state, who were part of a nationwide effort five or six years ago to openly defy. They all did it on the same Sunday. They openly defied the Johnson Amendment. They filmed their sermons. They took the transcripts and they sent them directly to the IRS and said, come at me, bro. And the IRS under Obama, this was Obama's IRS, wanted no part of it because they knew the precedent would stand in court. The Johnson Amendment is a shiny object fig leaf. It does nothing. It doesn't help anybody. And that, that is, that's what you do when you're frankly trying to fool people. And okay? preachers do that every year. They, they, they preach basically an electioneering exactly. sermon. Send it to the IRS. Say, sue me. Nice. Politics is a contact sport. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So, Donald Trump is sitting right now at a 53% disapproval rating. And he's only a month into his presidency. And the number keeps going up. And the reason why it's going up, he doesn't have a straw man. Guy can't stand on his own. We saw this during the election. The, the reason why you saw his numbers rebound after he got elected, what happened right after he was elected? All the stupid Marxist protests in the streets, people hate that crap. And then, then, then after Christmas, we had the, Globe, the Golden Globes. You had Meryl Streep's rant. He had his new straw man. Right now, he doesn't have a straw man. And so it's the same problem Hillary would have had, Bob, if she had gotten elected. Once the foil is removed, all of your negatives come to the forefront as president and in a vacuum, and it's just you and your negatives. The last thing he needs to do, we're talking about a guy that lost the popular vote by over 2 million votes. Granted, all of that came from California, but he also won several states by 20,000, 10,000, 40,000, 50,000 votes. Those are scant margins in a presidential election. He had, a, he had a nearly historic level of white evangelical turnout, which was huge, huge in, in him getting the votes that he received. All right. The last thing you need is to, you can't, he can't afford having that turnout drop by 
12%, 15% four years from now. He will lose if that happens. And if he doesn't deliver for those people, like he promised, with with this kind of an executive order and other things, or if Gorsuch turns out to be a squealer, all right, on Roe v. Wade, he's going to lose more than that. And it won't matter how much money they raise. It won't matter how many fables the Ralph Reeds of the world go out there and, and tell people they won't turn out in the numbers he needs. He'll still get a dominant, he'll still get 75% of that vote first Tuesday in November on 2020. So the, he'll get 75% of that pie, Bob, but the pie is going to be smaller than it was on November 8th last, or November 7th last year. You know, his saving grace, especially with the people of faith, is that uh, the number one the number one reason the people of faith overlooked anything and everything about Donald Trump and voted for him anyway was the Supreme Court pick. If Gorsuch comes through and if any other appointment he has comes through and they end up being rock-solid, constitutional, uh, conservative-type judges, uh, that's going to be a good thing for him. Matter of fact, I think the reason he didn't repeal the LGBT order of Obama in July of 2014 is because of the SCOTUS appointment that basically came right on, on the heels of that. Don't matter of fact, it was that night uh, after the news broke. But you're right. If religious liberty does not get upheld in his administration, if a SCOTUS appointment does not uh, come through like uh, the people of faith want it to come through, these are going to be big, big issues for him. And this has been a very, very loyal block for him. I would definitely come through on the religious liberty issue. That's why I tweeted out, not as a threat, but kind of like, hey, man, what gives? Religious liberty is a cornerstone issue of ours. Bob, we'll see you next week. All right. God bless, man. Thank you. We'll come back with Hour 3 in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Back with Hour 3 of the Steve Day Show here, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Coming up a little bit later on, Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com is going to join us to talk about his new book on how to reform the EPA called Scare Pollution. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Indeed, it's that time we set aside every night for our young producer, Aaron, to teach us the age-old lesson of what parental supervision means, why we have chaperones. This is when he takes control of the show. He gets to ask us any three things 
about any three things. Nothing is off limits, but he has to answer the same questions as well. Thank you, Steve. Uh, First question. What's the first ethical dilemma you remember facing or one of the first? Uh, When I was a little kid. You know, um, you guys know I've always been a big superhero fanboy guy. Right. And uh, I had this penchant for when I would ask my mama for a comic book if she wouldn't buy it for me. Um, I was not tantrum thrower kid. That just wasn't my thing, you know. But um, I do that now as an adult. I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> that was just not my thing as a kid, but I do that now as an adult. But um, I I remember facing this ethical dilemma of why can't I have what I want? And also, you know, back when I was little, these were only a quarter, you know, so it's not like they were that much money. So I would just roll the comic book up and stuff it in my pants and walk out. And my mom ended up finding a stack of those. I remember uh, when that happened. I was about seven years old. And my mom found like a stack of comic books going back a year or two that I had just been grabbing out of the store. If she wouldn't buy them for me, I figured, well, you know, they're only a quarter. Nobody's going to miss it, you know. And I think she might have rolled like nine of those up and and turned them into an instrument of righteous judgment. And that was the that was uh, that's one of how I learned that ethical lesson, Todd. Nice, ma. Uh, actually, I'll, one that I, there are plenty that came before this, no doubt. But it, this popped into my head a couple of days ago, and I'm not sure why. When I was in seventh grade, that was my last year playing uh, football. You know, I'm I'm five nine now. I'm a buck fifty five or whatever. But you know, back then, uh, soaking wet. Who knows what I was? But I loved football. Uh, but that seventh grade season, uh, I didn't get to play uh, very much because it was starting to go the direction of, you know, you, it's it's not it's not just participation, and that drove me nuts. So the last game of the season, I just decided not to go. And uh, the my seventh grade science teacher was the head coach, I think. Yeah, and he he laid into me uh, pretty good. And looking back, I mean, I'm I'm the dad who would just I mean that would never happen, and I'm not sure how I even got away with doing it. But uh, yeah, an ethical dilemma right there that I failed. I uh, had a dilemma. I loved these Lego sets when I was a kid called uh, Bionicles, and they were kind of, they had their own mythos and storyline and everything. And at one point, I think one of the pastors, or the pastor at uh, my home church, told my parents that he wasn't going to buy these Lego sets for his kid anymore because he thought that they were slightly demonic. So I had to, of course, of course. So I had to grapple with that. Sorry. Everything was demonic. <laughs> the wow. Dairy Queen logo was demonic. Everything. I, hey, was Alex Jones devil. reported yeah, reported that uh, uh, Lady Gaga was going to do a satanic ritual at halftime of the Super Bowl. He deleted that. And then he? deleted that tweet. But don't worry, I made sure to save that one so everybody can see it. <laughs> Next time, you guys, uh, some of you in the audience actually think that guy tells you the truth. I just, I, I can't help you. Question two, uh, if you had to combine the main cast of characters from one TV show with the general premise or plot of another, what specific combination would you choose? 
Say it again if I had to do what now? So uh, say you take, and this was, I'll just uh, answer this your question with my answer here. Uh, combine the main cast of characters from one TV show with the plot and premise of another. What combination would you choose? I hmm. think Stranger Things meets Lost would be really weird, actually. But it would be kind of cool. I don't get the Stranger Things craze. I watched every episode. I liked it. I didn't think it was like this transcendent viewing event, even though it's my, that, that was my childhood I, growing up. See, I enjoyed it because my, the music my childhood was to. not your childhood, so the whole 80s thing was, was kind of fun, and, and it could but just, I didn't think it was transcendent. It, it, it could be I am struggling with listening to uh, Mysterious Ways by U2 on classic vinyl on Sirius XM. It could just be that. It, it could be watching my childhood now is fodder for those were the days plot lines uh i i just might be struggling with that you know um and so it because i'm like the only person that i know i mean literally the only person i know that has seen the show that thought it was a bb plus everybody else that i've talked to that i know around the country thinks this was a this show was a transcendent level event but um I got to think about this. The child uh, okay, actors are one? so good, go though. I, I agree they're really good. I agree. How about the cast of Walking Dead, but the, when things like finally come to an end and they're suddenly thrust into like the world of like a sitcom like Friends? But, see, I could see like the putting or, or put him put him on Cheers. Yeah, but, but they're still all punchy because they think everybody's like about to shank them or take their stuff. But there's like so, there's sitcom you know laugh tracks in it instead of. Just ominous silences. You know what I'm trying to do is think of a show where I, that I just hated it, hated the hated the message, hated the plot, and put them on Oz, just so I could enjoy watching them just shake and shiv each other. Uh, you know, but my my, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think you have stumped me with this question. Um, Wait, is, you Steve Dace can't think of anything he hates right now. Where um, are you? I, what what is be? I can't. Th- I, I'm st- I'm stumped. I can't come up with one. I I don't know. I mean, I just I, I'm going to go with yours. I mean, that's as good as anything. I'm, anything I'm going to come up with. Wow, wow. Aaron, mic drop. Yes, I'm out. Question three: What's one thing you hate and can't explain why? Oh no, he already failed at hate question number one. Yes. Um, I I don't like it. Uh, I I can't. St- you can't give me, even. Give me, give me a second. Hold on a second, because I was going to say like nine things. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. Hey, 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 hey! All right, I was going to say like nine things there, and I got tongue tied. Um, I hate with an undying passion Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You." I mean, I hate it. Hate it. I mean, like it is. It's it's like a it. When I hear that song, or UB40's Red Red Wine is the other one, it's like there was this horror movie a few years ago called The Signal. And so like these anarchists kidnap this television studio, and they put out this signal that triggers the brain and triggers social and moral anarchy. And everybody who hears it just becomes a rampaging, you know, uh, lascivious uh, nutcase. Just raping, pillaging, plundering, everything in their sight. When I hear Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You or UB40's Red Red Wine, that is the signal to me. 
Like I, those songs just make red rom, red rom. I and I can't explain why. I just have a visceral loathing for those songs. And the smell of peas. I can't stand the smell of peas. Makes me want to puke yeah. on scent. Puke on instant scent. And canned spinach does it too. In fact, I can't even look at it. Yeah. I can't even look at it. See, now you... Now He's I, making up for that other question yeah. right now. <laughs> How do I loathe thee? Let me count the ways. Let's just keep this rolling. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Todd. I can think of lots of things I hate, but I have reasons for them. Uh... Uh, the the I, the the shows on TV on the where you, there's a couple that goes out to buy a house. All of them except the one for Chip and Joanna Gaines, and not because they're Christians. They're just humble. But there's all this fake. See, I'm now I'm giving reasons, but I just need to get this off my chest. All this fake drama about these people and buying their house, and you can see this is an existent. It's a house. Settle down. But, yeah, yeah, not gonna happen. My my girlfriend and I were discussing this this weekend. What? what, she what, hates, what, what whoa. She what, hates... He's out. Yes. She hates puns, and I think I'm with her. Pretty sure I'm Well, speaking of puns, the word girlfriend's been a pun around here for about a year and a half. <laughs> You're listening to Steve Dace. has not yet begun to offend. This is Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about An excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show. Based on what's trending on your social media at the water cooler where you work, Aaron has those headlines. We will have the hot takes beginning with the break, the news that was just broken a few minutes ago. Aaron dropped the term girlfriend here on this show. So that'll be, that'll be our lead Nightly Buzz article or, or, or story here tonight, Aaron. You have the details. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's your breaking news. I mean, I'm dating a a wonderful, extremely intelligent, uh, just incredibly lovely, uh, indescribably uh, lovely young lady. That's that's what I have to say. She was a listener, um, and we started to get to talking. Those kind of people listen to this show. Yeah, Yeah. Steve Dace bringing people together. I've, I've I've met her parents and she's met mine and everything, so it's it's been a little while. Wow. Uh, first story. Wow, how long has this been going on? <laughs> oh, good grief! Since uh, well, I've known her since uh, middle of the summer, uh, but November. So, and so now it's 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 you're not you're not single anymore. That's correct. I'm spoken for. So dads, I and there are dads. I mean, just like on a cycle, and some grandparents as well that email me and say, hey. Would you like to date my daughter or granddaughter? <laughs> Have you actually had that happen, really? Oh, it's pretty regular. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. God bless them. Um, you would be the second producer who met a woman who listened to my show. If you guys get married, this would be the second time this has happened. Really? Corey Kuhn, my old sports talk radio producer, met a gal uh, who listened to my show huh. named Wendy. And they ended up getting married. Interesting. Well, you're, that's, you're, that's good I, news. I, I don't think they're married now, though, so... Uh, that's bad news. 
You couldn't just leave it there. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, boss. Well, I was, I, I was, I was, I was, I was, cons- I was wondering if you were going to ask me how that turned out, and then I. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's uh, it's been it's been a blast though. Like I said, she's uh, she's amazing, and uh, it's it's a different different type of way of meeting each other. But it was uh, it was cool. Uh, let's get to the buzz here. Uh, when former law clerk Joshua Goodbaum tried to marry another dude, which is impossible back in 2014, he got an effusive and uh, emotional reassurance from his former boss, President Donald Trump's conservative U.S. Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch. Ugh. According to the Huffington Post, Huffington Post, Goodbaum, now an attorney in Connecticut, recalled fondly their conversation on the week of the quote-unquote wedding. He said, this is a wonderful thing. You'll see how your relationship grows. Todd, you had the first groan at this. Have at it. Huffington Post or not, I I believe this. And... Um, it, it, but on the other hand, listen. It, it could. I don't get if I would go to a gay wedding sort of thing. I, I don't know. But if, if his this could work in Gorsuch's favors because if he is truly as stalwart as he appears, he might be on religious liberty. It means we may very likely have a friend with him in many other areas that he might not emotionally be on our side with because the man is just. He can't help himself but be a dogmatic originalist. You know, maybe that's the guy we got. Now, that's—I almost feel stupid saying this because that's almost like finding a unicorn in this culture. Somebody who, left, right, or otherwise, is just going to read the Constitution and interpret it. Maybe we got lucky this time. Actually, it's not a unicorn in our culture at all. It's actually emblematic of the culture that we have. There is this notion that we can accommodate all of these viewpoints simultaneously. And that's not true. And at some point, um, things will be brought to a head to realize that. But this should not shock anyone that a guy that goes to a liberal, Episcopal uh, denomination and liberal local congregation in a very liberal town in Boulder, Colorado, has this view on homosexuality. That shouldn't shock anybody. He also has a record on religious liberty that is that's not in question. Well, how do you rectify those things? The reality is um, this is the worldview of the average American. I don't know why we think guys, judges who went to this school or that school and have this law degree are uh, somehow immune to the spirit of the age. Quite the opposite is the case. There's a lot of Americans that think you can have all these things. That, that you can rectify, that, you can, that, that these things can all be accommodated, and they cannot be. I mean, the reason we mobilized against preemptively against redefining marriage in the 90s was because we knew the end game was to put us in the position, the church in the position that it is in now, was to force, to force immorality upon the church, or to force it underground if it would not be forced, if they would not be forced into immorality, to, to put it in the cultural ghetto. That was the end game. That's right out of After the Ball. I mean, they wrote, that, they wrote that 30 years ago, long before Aaron was even born or had a girlfriend, for that matter. Okay, This has been their end game. There's a lot of Americans that believe we don't have to take dogmatic stances on any of these things. And we can just give everybody what they want. That's not true. But um, I'm not surprised. That, but, that, but Gorsuch, 
the di- the, the, the steaming dichotomy uh, that, that, that you just um, articulated, Todd, is exists in the minds of the vast majority of Americans in this day and age. So I'm, it's it's a it's a it's false. It won't work that way. But a lot of Americans want to be able to try. A lot of Americans want to be able to believe there is some moral fence out there that they can ride and not get their nether regions caught in the mesh. But they will. But so, I'm, you know, so remember we talked about this on Friday. You cannot dismiss where he goes to church and when his moral religious views. You have to put him in the context, of though, of everything else that you have. And you also have a guy that has had a good judicial record on this issue. We should also mention, though, that um, he was not one of the 11 judges that applied to my tattoo vow. Should bring that up. Oh yeah, I found that out. One of the list, one of our listeners emailed me over the weekend. Over the weekend, the actual story with those eleven justices. Oh, it's a technicality trying to get. He's off not that. on the list. Gorsuch is not on the list. I don't remember when was the. Wasn't it there originally twenty one? There was twenty one, and then it yeah. was narrowed down to eleven that were supposed to be the all stars. And Bill Pryor's on that list. Diana Sykes is on that yeah. list. But but Neil Gorsuch is not on that list. That is uh, disappointing. Uh, Next story. According to a nationwide Gallup poll released on Sunday, 36% of Americans think media outlets have been too hard on President Trump, while only 28% say they haven't been tough enough. Significantly more people think the press went easier on former President Barack Obama than Mr. Trump, according to that same poll. Who did that poll? Gallup. That's bad news for Donald Trump. Let me tell you why. Because Gallup right now has Trump with the lowest approval rating. We had this conversation earlier. Who's he losing political capital with? Remember I predicted last year that when I, when I thought Hillary would win, that the story this year would be she's the most unpopular first-year president of all time? It's him. He's at a 53% diso- he's at a 53% disapproval rating in three weeks. So when you've got that many people that don't approve of the job you're doing and they think you're not getting fair coverage, that's not a good combination. That's not a good combination. You're listening to Steve Dace. Putting the fun back in fundamentalist, the Steve Day Show. Name of the book is Scare Pollution, Why and How to Fix the EPA. Steve Malloy is with us. Maybe you've checked out his website in the past, uh, junkscience.com, and he's also a columnist uh, for Fox News. We want to welcome him to the program. Steve, how are you? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you, man. So tell us first and foremost why the EPA needs fixing. I thought it was doing the Lord's work. Well, the EPA is, needs fixing because it's the most dangerous, harmful federal agency out there. Uh, you know, it puts the IRS in the, sh- in the shade. Uh, the EPA, especially during Obama, uh, has stepped up its uh, war against the American economy. Uh, you know, virtually wiped out the coal industry. Uh, the natural gas, oil and gas industry were up next. Fortunately, President Trump's going to stop that. Why should he stop that? I mean, most Americans think, well, well, why wouldn't we want to protect the environment, right? I well, mean, we're going to keep protecting the environment. You know, the biggest secret out there is that the environment is already clean and safe. You know, it's no longer 1970. When we first 
when Nixon first put together the EPA in 1970, yeah, the air was dirty, the rivers caught on fire, you know. <laughs> People weren't very aware of the environment, but of course, 45 years later, 47 years later, things have totally changed. Uh, we're, we're hyper aware of the environment, and our air is clean, our water is safe. You know, we don't have those sorts of problems anymore, yet we're stuck with these 1970s era laws, which activists can exploit for their political ends and do. And that's what Obama spent the last eight years doing with his EPA. All right, so let me play devil's advocate here for a second, and let's role play this out. So let's pretend I'm on the other side of the aisle here, Steve, and here's how I'm going to respond to everything you just said. That's really convenient for you conservatives to make this case now, because let's face it, if we had gone back in 1970, and, and you guys would have been the people that would have told us this is an unnecessary government waste, this, this department was never needed, you've been trying to eliminate it, it's been in your party platform for about 30 years to get rid of it, that it's not a requirement, uh, you, you, you joke about it, you make fun of it, and the reason that we now have this clean environment is because we went against you and created this department, and we need in in order to sustain this kind of clean environment and the progress we've made and to make even more progress we need to perpetuate it even further (laughs) yeah i don't think any part of that is correct you know first off it was a republican richard nixon that put epa together and sure he did it as sort of a a cynical sop to anti-war activists but nonetheless he did do it and you know as we became a wealthy industrialized society we became more aware of the environment people didn't want the river set on fire. People didn't want uh, unnecessarily smoggy air. So, you know, over the course of the last 45 years, you know, we've all banded together. There's been regulation on the federal level, but also states have gotten involved. Businesses have gotten involved. And, and most importantly, we had the wealth to do it. So it was really sort of a national effort. Um, I don't like to use the word collective, but collectively, you know, we cleaned up the environment. And uh, so now we have different issues uh, than we had 47 years ago. It's time to rethink the whole thing. Give us some examples, things that you can document of how we have we've done that those corrective measures, how things are better than they were when you and I were kids. Uh, Okay, well, uh, probably the most important one, the one that everyone sees every day, is the air. Um, You know, the air was not all that clean forty-seven years ago, and and it was worse during the fifties and sixties. And slowly, people started to get their act together. Um, but by the time I started in the environmental business, which is 1990, the air was clean. Uh, but since then, EPA has used, as I document in my book, Scare Pollution, all sorts of scientific fraud um, to n- nonetheless ratchet regulation down to a senseless level, um, to the point where you know, we're, we've destroyed 90% of the value of the coal industry, for no purpose, no environmental purpose. No one is healthier. The environment is not cleaner. The sky is not bluer. Um, it's just all regulatory overkill. What's the motivation here? Is your argument that this is simply regulatory overreach, or is there an agenda here behind the environmentalism uh, to essentially wipe out uh, fossil fuels that they ideologically believe are dirty fuels to begin with? Well, there's a lot of agendas at work. It all depends on what you want to start with. I think the most important, the most insidious is the political one. Um, I think environmentalists are left-wingers. They use the environment as sort of a as camouflage, as mm-hmm. a shield behind which they advance their political agenda. What's that agenda? Well, that agenda is to control the economy. Okay. Um, you also have people that are trying to... So this is classic Marxism. Or, you, you control the resources to command the economy. That's what you're talking about. That's exactly what they're doing. Uh, as you know, Greenpeace founder Patrick Moore would tell you, 
when the Cold War ended, all the peaceniks and all the communists from the, from the peace movement came into the environment, and that's what they've been doing ever since. You also have, when you get to like global warming and green energy, um, you have the rent seekers, you know, people that want to profit off government mandates and subsidies. Uh, there are some naive souls out there that believe all the green propaganda. You know, we, we think of them as tree huggers. I mean, they're just poor, misguided souls. But nonetheless, they exist, and they do drive policy to some extent. So you have these, you know, different agendas uh, all at work. We'll have more with Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com about his new book, Scare Pollution, in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Radio's version of the Red Pill. You take the Red Pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's Steve Dace. Back here with Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com. He's got a brand new book out we're talking about tonight, Scare Pollution. What are some of, to make a practical case for our audience, give us a couple of examples now of of regulations that just accomplish nothing other than punitively damaging the American economy and the American worker. Okay, well, uh, at, the, at the very end of uh, the Obama administration, uh, they passed rules to require the oil and gas industry to crack down on methane emissions from drilling going on federal lands. Of course, this is accomplishing nothing for the environment. It's not cleaning the air. It's not, it's not going to help the oil uh, industry make any more money. It's just an expense for them, uh, needlessly you know, reducing their methane emissions. Uh, we have you know the whole Obama war on coal, wiping out the coal industry, you know because we're supposedly going to be afraid of carbon dioxide emissions. Well, you know even if the entire United States was taken offline and emitted no greenhouse gas emissions for the next hundred years, uh, that would hardly make a dent in atmospheric carbon dioxide level. So once again, nothing would be accomplished. The Keystone and Dakota pipelines fit into here. Weren't there something like a half dozen independent studies commissioned by the government of the Keystone pipeline the last four or five years and its true environmental impact? And they either came out and said it was a moderate uh, risk to non-existent. Isn't that true? Uh, yeah, there have been numerous studies. I mean, it took it took the Obama administration basically eight years <laughs> to kill the Keystone Pipeline because they had no evidence that it was going to hurt the environment. As a matter of fact, the State Department was on the verge of approving it. Obama just, you know, he decided, well, I just have to kill this thing. Uh, the pipelines are, um, you know, it's not going to change greenhouse gas emissions at all. All it's going to do is uh, keep trillions of dollars of wealth being generated for Americans. Uh, pipelines are actually safer than the way that oil is coming into the U.S. now through on on rail. Um, you know, once again, so environmentalists. I mean, a- a- every option is just the worst option with them. Uh, all of most environmental protection in the United States is done by states. Okay, probably about eighty-five percent of the last two EPA administrators have testified in Congress to that effect. So that leaves EPA with about fifteen percent responsibility. Um, and, you know, there is a role for EPA doing, uh, handling maybe inter- some interstate issues or some international issues, uh, you know, like pesticide registrations is a good thing for EPA to be involved with, good responsibility. Uh, and that's what they should stick to. I mean, over the last eight years, we've seen nothing but overkill from EPA. As a matter of fact, I've been in this business for almost, well, for 26 years, um, and I have seen nothing but overkill from EPA. What is how Scott Pruitt going to change this organization? 
Well, Scott Pruitt is uh, uh, President Trump's nominee uh, to run the EPA. He is a lawyer. He has sued EPA many times. He is well aware of how EPA has exceeded its uh, uh, statutory and constitutional authority over the past eight years. So he's going to he's going to bring that to heel. Uh, Mr. Trump, I know, has also uh, had a great transition team, and the transition team has laid out plans for reforming how EPA does science for rolling back uh, EPA functions to the states where they belong, and you know making environmental protection reasonable. You know, environmental protections are not going to be rolled back. They're, they're going to continue to be reasonable. We're going to have blue skies, clean water, but we're going to do these things reasonably, not in a way that harms our economy. You know, if you look across the world, the societies that have the cleanest environments, and we have the cleanest environment, are the wealthiest societies. So to the extent we make ourselves poorer, we're actually hurting our environment. Yeah, it never it, made much sense to me that the countries that are in the third world that lack technological innovation have no manufacturing base uh, or manufacturing base or middle class whatsoever. Also, have the dirtiest water and the dirtiest air. That doesn't make much sense if if the claims of the extreme claims of the left are true. Then then they should be living in uh, uh, the modern uh, version of Wakanda, right? From uh, Marvel Comics, right? <laughs> Look, it, it takes money to have a clean environment, and, and we've got to be able to afford it, and, and that's really the key. Uh, people who are, are wealthy are, are healthier. That's just, that, that is just what we've learned over the 20th century, and it's always been true, really. Uh, but environmentalists, uh, you know, they have been successful. They, you know, they own the mainstream media. They've, they own the government. They, they have cowed uh, Republicans into being afraid to talk about the environment. You know, it's like one of those third-rail issues. Um, that environment that Republicans are afraid of. So they've had, you know, a free free range uh, to just do what they want. Well, you know, I give President Trump credit because he's the, he was the only Republican candidate that talked about reigning in the EPA. Get the new book, Scare, Poli- Scare Pollution, Why and How to Fix the EPA from Stephen Malloy. Steve, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Take care. And yes, I, I need to correct something before all other fanboys begin emailing me. Wakanda actually in Marvel Comics is actually the most technologically advanced nation on Earth. All right, so even in my misapplied analogy, it shows the fallacy of the other side's argument. So I, I just I wanted to correct that for the record. Well, thank you. Um, I, I actually had. I, I, I was I knew I was going to get corrected as soon as I said it wrong. Well, that's good. Um, I, I you know these conversations and it goes back to what we uh, talked about one of our questions in Worldview Wednesday last week. Uh, these conversations about uh, environmentalism and things like that these are really crucial because I mean everybody on the other side and I'm interested in this because. Almost everybody in my generation has believed the lie about uh, the global warming and what have you, and the, the Earth is going to go away. These are conversations that we have to keep having, and we have to keep keep being able to uh, answer some of the objections or some of the false charges that people bring. So I'm glad that we could have uh, Steve on. I, 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 again, though, if if the environment is okay, then why do we freaking need? An environmental protection agency. Can somebody an- answer me that? That was that was the kind of thing that was, I wasn't. Well, I, really clear I gave on you. That. I gave you in, his, in the question I asked him earlier. Yeah. That the, the response they would give you. Yeah. It's only okay because we created this government agency, and it needs to remain there and fully uh, funded in order to maintain the progress we've made and create even more progress. That's the answer that they would give. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, to me, I've never understood Todd why if you're a committed natural n- naturalistic evolutionist. If you are a committed Darwinist, why you care in the first place? I mean, if if 
if what we're doing is makes the if if, if human ingenuity, human progress, human achievement. Uh, the byproduct of that makes it more difficult for human existence, then that, to me, is natural selection working itself out. And it is time for another species to assume the uh, the top of the food chain. I mean, it seems to me like you're fighting against your own worldview. Well, you are, of course, right, but so there, you're saying there's a contradiction in their thinking? I'm, Isn't I'm, this every I'm, segment I'm, we I'm, talk <laughs> about progressives? Perpetually, yes. Uh, we'll come back and wrap things up here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. What a blaze of glory sounds like the Steve Day Show. Back to wrap it up here tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So what did we learn here this evening? Todd, I'll begin with you, brother. What would you, what'd you learn here tonight? Well, I, I learned that in the future I want to keep going down this road of uh, Putin and political capital, uh, not because of a some sort of fundamental disagreement, but based on everything of the last year, I, I want to continue to try to understand how we tick as a people, because the Putin fetish isn't post-election. It isn't new. It was there and thriving before the election, the and he the won. The difference is that he's his own foil. Everything we talked about with Hillary, the problems she would have when, when we thought she would win, and there would be no Trump to play off of, and all her negatives would all come to the fore, and, and she needed a straw man, she needed a foil, he has these issues now. We still have the highest negative president that just, or the president just got elected with the highest negatives of all time. He has no straw man right now. He has no foil. He is his own foil. And and so all of his negatives are now coming to the surface. That's that's what's changed. What's changed now is he doesn't have a personality to play off of. Now he had one for during the transition period, and that was the riots and everything else that we saw. The left gave him the foil. Like last night, he needed Lady Gaga, man, to go political in that halftime ceremony. That would have given him two weeks of run like Meryl Streep's speech did, right as he was right before the inauguration, okay? He needs a straw man. He cannot. The Oscars are coming, brother. He, and he will, that, that, is, that is manna from heaven. Donald Trump, for being a force of nature, cannot survive on his own. We saw this in the primary, okay? He needed low-energy low Jeb. Rand, Rand shouldn't be here tonight, Paul. Rand Skywalker sucks and Lion Ted and Little. He needs a foil. The minute what what happened to him from May third until the last two weeks of the election, his numbers tanked because it was the whole amount of attention was on him. He now now when you're the president now, that puts even more of a spotlight on you. And so he needs a straw man. He needs leftists to act out. He he needs that because he can't survive on his own. That's the difference. Aaron, what did you learn? I learned that those five, I, with uh, maybe the exception of one, but those five reasons why Donald Trump acts the way he does and says the things he does about Donald Trump. You mean about Putin? Putin, Putin yes. Um, those should be very, very troubling. And here's why. No matter what the answer is, if it's any of those, it means that our president, in some way, big or small, is being manipulated. 
by a foreign power. Now you can say, well, the, one of the answers was, well, he just likes to upset the ruling class. Yeah, and that could be the possible exception. But none of the other reasons are good from what I, from my vantage point. That should upset any of us because when the day comes, and there will be a day, I dare say, during the Trump administration where they will have to confront Putin or else Russia will do something else, maybe annex another Crimea. On the day that that comes, we will be in a very, very weak position. And that's when you find out how much political capital on this you wasted. When that day will arise, I agree with you. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 